2: Okay, it must be 4 o'clock Eastern Time. And that means it's time for Big seals in the National Football Show. Hope you're all having a great time on this show here. We talk football, man. We talk the heroes game. We talk the game of champions. Football. It's the most watched sport in America. There's a reason for it. You know why? Clarity. Scoreboard. There's no ambiguity when it comes to anything. When we look at, hey, you know what? Can I dissect the loss? Can I say that? Football has got clarity in it, my friends. It's all about scoreboard. Nobody's opinion. Did you win or lose? Losers go home. Winners get to kiss the cheerleaders and cash the paychecks. And that's why football is starting to rule America. Did you see that 160,000 people showed up To Cleveland for the NFL draft, people were sitting around in the plaza watching somebody go like this with the seventh pick in the NFL draft. No hitting, no nothing. It was all about football. All about the NFL. That's what you absolutely love about this sport so much, is that you can, the fans. Baseball, when I grew up, guys, that was America's pastime. You know what the NFL and college football have become? America's passion. This is a game of passion. Hey, you got to love the game, man. Ain't about cashing those paychecks. It can't be. Can't be. You leave pieces of your body all over the joint when you play football. From the time you're in high school to the time you get to college, And if you're fortunate enough to land on the moon and play in the NFL, you leave pieces all over the place. That's why the fans love it. It's gladiators, man. That's what makes football the best sport in America. We're packed today. Pack today. Topics and content. How could you not be? You know, when I first was asked to do a strict Football show. I started thinking about it because I've been doing radio for about 30 years and I cover all kinds of topics. I realized something about streaming, YouTube, what fans want, what's trending. Talking about the NBA, I don't know, really? Wake me up in June when the NBA finals are here. Quite frankly, there's nothing going on in that sport that I have any interest in. By the way, what's trending and the ratings? Prove it. You know the NBA's lost 48% of their audience? You ain't doing that in the NFL. You're not doing that in the SEC. 48%? I don't think so. The NFL had a banner ratings year last year. The NBA had a disaster. Numerous things. Playing in the fall and going up against football, you're never going to win that. It's like going against the greatest arm wrestler in the history and you're some dweeb trying to take him over. That's not happening. You're not taking him over to the top. Football is such a massive staple now in this country, and it is absolutely just filled with all kinds of content. We're going to get to that here in a second here. We'll go over that, but I want to tell you who's on the show. Today, the head football coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Bruce Arians, will join us. And what I love about Bruce is, He is a no craps and giggles type of guy. Bruce is going to look you in the face and go, that sucks, kid, or that's great, kid. And that includes Tom Brady. I loved what everybody was saying about Bruce Arians last year. Man, is he really being critical of Tom? Tom likes to be coached hard, man. Who doesn't? Because, you know, when you're coached hard, you're being coached honest. You're being coached honest. And that's all players want. Just tell the truth, man. Don't do what they're doing like up in Green Bay, lying through their teeth. Hey, Gundy, I'm not even going to say the guy's last name because I don't really care who the GM is. By the way, you're roadkill, dude. you got to fire that guy before he destroys the entire franchise and allowing Aaron Rodgers to roll out of town. You don't see that around Bruce Arians. Bruce is the head dude in charge. He's a communicator. Buccaneers win the Super Bowl during a pandemic. What? It's so great. I'm so happy for him. We'll effort him in this hour here. We're going to talk to Mike Leach in the next hour as well. The head football coach in Mississippi State. Jimmy Johnson told me a couple days ago that he should be in the national football league. Can you imagine Mike Leach's offense spreading that football around in the NFL? want to get his thoughts on coaching in the Southeastern Conference. I believe they were four and seven last year. Not the kind of record, obviously, Coach Leach wants, but I think he's one of the greatest innovators when it comes to moving the sticks that we've ever seen. When he was at Texas Tech, Washington State, now what he's implementing now in the Southeastern Conference, I'll ask him, what separates the SEC from, say, the Big 12 or the Pac-12? Why is it such a dominant conference? I mean, 65 guys were taken in the seven rounds of the National Football League draft. Remarkable. Then we'll talk to Jason Cole, our Hall of Fame voter, our NFL insider. You will hear a lot of Jason Cole. He's got a book out, too, on John Elway, him and Elway. Our dear friends, they both went to Stanford. And in Relentless Pursuit is the name of the book. We will talk to our friend Jason Cole and get his thoughts on John Elway and get this Aaron Rodgers and that's where we start I said this on April 30th you can go on my twitter line at the Ansilio show to take a look at that and what I posted there it seems that John Elway has contacted the Green Bay Packers and asked what a package would be for the services of Aaron Rodgers Green Bay at first thought it was a joke well As we get to where we are today on the 6th, here we are on the 6th of May, and all of a sudden, those things don't seem so weird now that the Denver Broncos are making a lot of noise when it comes to trying to get Aaron Rodgers to Denver. Does it make sense? Absolutely, because you know why? John Elway, who's no longer the president of the team, or excuse me, the general manager of the team, is still the president of the team, Look, the GM patent is not going to get Aaron Rodgers to Denver, but John Elway is. It's like when Derek Jeter picks up the phone with the Miami Marlins. Okay, well, I'm going to listen to Derek Jeter. I don't even know who your GM is, and nor do I care. When dudes like that pick the phone up and dudes like that make noise, okay, you're going to listen because it's who – you have great respect for it. There's no question Aaron Rodgers has great respect for John Iway. Would we all agree to that? Okay. So now the noise is this. What would be a fair compensation for Aaron Rodgers if you are the Denver Broncos? Patrick Sertain, the second, I think would have to be involved in that mix. Let's not forget what happened in the NFC championship game with that boneheaded play at the end of the half that cost them. However, Dude, Patrick Sertain and three or four first rounders, I think you're the only way to go. You're not just going to get Aaron Rodgers for a bag of vittles or chicklets and Patrick Sertain. No disrespect to the kid from Bama, who I have great respect for. I think this kid is a special player. I think the Dallas Cowboys clearly wanted this guy. I think that's – The Dallas Cowboys got wobbled in the draft when he was not there and Denver ended up sneaking up and Fangio ended up taking the guy. When Fangio took him, my opinion, that wobbled the Cowboy draft for the rest of the day. And really, for the three days, I thought it wobbled them. Then they reached up and got that kid with their second pick, who I thought was a reach himself. That guy is a great football player, one of the best players Nick Saban has put out into the National Football League. So what would the compensation be? What would fair compensation be if you were trying to make a move to bring Aaron Rodgers to Denver? Okay, well, here, let's let's start this off here by saying this. You're never gonna get fair compensation whatsoever for Aaron Rodgers. 26 and six, the last two years, we've been talking about that. For, what was it, 48 to 5 in interceptions last year? 48 to 4. My God Almighty, I don't know if we'll ever see that differential when it comes to touchdown and interception difference by any quarterback. He does that stuff routinely too. Like, I think one year, Rodgers had like 26 touchdowns and like four interceptions or five interceptions, and they were calling that a bad year. And I was like, really? You call that a bad year? I don't think that's a bad year. I think that's a transition year taking Matt LaFleur in two years ago, and they still got to the NFC Championship game. They got their doorknobs knocked off by the Niners in that game, but I thought he was a special player in that season too. So fair compensation, you have to start with this. You're never going to get it. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. That's not – you're not going to get fair compensation. So do you know what you, have to, what you have to come to grips with? What would be compensation we can live with? Now, look, getting a guy like this comes with baggage. And here's the baggage. And not anything personality-wise. I won't even get to that yet. Let me get to the 37 years of age. Now, today's quarterback at 37, look, the reason that these guys are playing later, the reason that you're seeing more consecutive game streaks being played, by many of these quarterbacks today because they're not getting hit. I mean, the fact that if you have to lay on a guy right or the way you hit a guy, the way you bring the guy to the ground, if you don't do it within the rhyme and reason of the NFL and Park Avenue, you're going to get a 15-yard penalty for roughing the passer no matter what because you know why? That's an asset that owners and the commissioner and Park Avenue are trying to invest in and trying to protect. Remember something, the NFL is a ratings magnet. And anything that hurts the ratings of the league hurts the economics of the league. Advertisers, television packages. Nobody wants to see some stiff in Green Bay quarterbacking the team because Aaron Rodgers got his shoulder banged up and you're watching some stiff up there playing the position in the playoffs because Rodgers got hurt or Brady got, nobody wants to see that. And I do believe this goes back even more so to Nick Foles. Hey, a greater run as great a run as that is, nobody wants to see Nick Foles quarterbacking in the Super Bowl. They want to see Carson Wentz. They want to see the big names. Just like you do when you go to a movie in Hollywood or you go to your local movie theater. When I go see The Godfather or I go see one of my favorite movies, I want to see Marlon Brando in it. I don't want to see Bob Brando. I want to see Marlon Brando. I want to see the big stars. When I go see a Denzel Washington movie, I don't want to go see Nathan Washington. I want to go see Denzel Washington. We are a, we are in a different era today when it comes to, I was talking to my guy Krause yesterday about this. Dude, today with the streaming and all the platforms that we have, the attention span of Americans today, are even shorter than what they used to be. Sitting around and watching a three-hour movie, if it's not good right away, I'll just get snippets of it on my phone. People don't have the attention span to do anything for three hours. You want to know why over 9 million people have left the game of golf and don't play golf anymore? Who's got four hours of disposable time in their day nowadays to go play golf? I might play nine holes, but I ain't playing 18. I don't have four hours a day to kill just to throw out there and chase a white ball around. That's not happening. People today, man, are like fish in a pond. They see the lure, they go for the lure. The next shiny thing is there. And the NFL knows this. So they've got to be compelling at all times. And guys like Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers came out and he said, hey, I'm pretty comfortable in my ability and I'm pretty comfortable with my brand, and I'm pretty comfortable with the things that I can do. And so, quite frankly, I don't care where I end up going. We're going to play a game a little bit later on too. Aaron Rodgers versus the field. You know, I actually heard some people saying that they would take Josh Allen over the next 10 years over Aaron Rodgers. And I thought about that. Over the next 10 years, would you take a Josh Allen over Aaron Rodgers? Here, and I'll I'll say this to you. Look at what – and let's just use Denver for, for the example here because you know why? Denver won a Super Bowl a few years back, right, with Peyton Manning. Would you take a Super Bowl championship or even the Eagles if you want to do it that way? Would you take a championship and then three and a half years of sucking? I would. Okay, I'm not good for three years. I have to retool the team, re- rebuild the team. But I won a Super Bowl with that guy. Hey, five-year windows? Those things are gone, man. Well, I got five years to build. You think fans are going to sit around and start pumping money into an organization and buying season tickets to go to a game when you give them that dumbass comment? Well, you know what? We're going to build a guy and we're going to build the organization about three years. Well, no one wants to hear that because you know what? All right, call me in three years and then I'll start investing and buying season ticket money. Nobody's going to do that. The disposable income that NFL fans have today, I'll sit back on my fat ass and watch the Red Zone channel. That's why he created it. It's for gambling anyway. I'll sit back at home. Let me know when the Eagles are really going to put a championship team together and I'll show up at the link or I'll show up in green Bay. Let me know. Okay. I'm a football fan. It's funny, man. I I learned this stat from Pepsi a few years back. You know, 97% of the operating budget that all NFL teams operate under. Okay. The TV, the TV deal, 90% of the operating budget comes from the television packages that they put together. And here's another stat for you. 98% of NFL fans have never been to games. Think of that. The people that invest their time, their ratings, buying the hats, buying the jerseys and the bed coverings and the pillow coverings and all that, the jackets, most of those people have never been to a game. You think spending $375 on a football game for a family of four? Come on, guys. You're talking about a $2,000 investment just to go to some of these new facilities. Nobody has $2,000 a weekend to go. You're not even talking about getting little Joey the, you know, the banner and little Susie a hat. And then, God forbid, you got to buy him food. You're talking about a $2,500 with parking weekend to go to a game for a family of four. You think Americans have that kind of disposable income to go to an NFL game, and then you think they want to sit home and watch this play quarterback? Absolutely not. The backup dude is the worst dude when it comes to viewership in the NFL. No one wants that. Why do you think they took some of the Cowboy games last year off primetime and they flexed them out of that Sunday game? You know why? Because Dak Prescott wasn't quarterbacking. Hey, the Cowboys are a big brand, right? Maybe the biggest brand in the NFL. Well, when you don't have a star quarterback playing the position for you, you're all going to get flexed off that Sunday night game on NBC. Nobody cares, man. They want competitive and compelling. That's why a guy like Rodgers, when his name, and hey, for the record, Deshaun Watson is that kind of like outlier right now because we still don't know what to do. Okay, we still don't know what to do. So we're gonna hold him over here. You think Aaron Rodgers could possibly really be moved before the start of the season? You know, I said this yesterday about this dude and I'll continue to say it about Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is the captain of his own ship and he feels comfortable in his own skin this is a Northern California guy who went to Cal. And by the way, you got to know, understand a little bit of his background. He had to go to junior college before he went to Cal. Do you understand that? That meant this. He wasn't highly recruited at a high school. This was not a five-star kid. So he he had to go to he had to go to junior college, excel at junior college. Not a lot of schools offered him. He chose Cal. Hey, man, I'll tell you this. You ain't getting into Cal unless you have a three-five grade point average. So we're talking about a cerebral dude that thinks things out. Maybe not the greatest teammate. Maybe not the greatest communicator like Brady. But I'll tell you what, when it comes to spinning the ball, <laughs> hey, man, Aaron Rodgers is one of the greatest passers I've ever seen spin that rock. I've seen them all. I've played against John Elway. I've, I've, I've played against Dan Marino. Marino's got maybe the greatest arm I've ever seen when it comes to the quarterback position. But I'll tell you something, man. Rodgers and the percentages and the way he moves out and the way he sprints out and the type of play he has, I think he's a little bit better version of Steve Young. And I've got great respect for Steve Young. What's funny about Steve Young, I played high school football in Connecticut against Steve Young. When Steve was at Greenwich High School, and we've been friends a long time, and I never thought that there was ever a better weapon in the NFL than a guy who ran a 4-5 in Steve Young and then was as accurate as Steve Young was when it came to throwing the ball. He goes to BYU. Then he ends up going to the USFL, and then he ends up being drafted in the USFL supplemental draft, and then he goes to the Buccaneers. His career was dying. Bill Walsh finds him. They trade a third-round draft choice for him, and now he sits in Canton because he got a chance to sit and learn behind the master known as Joe Montana. And he was also coached by a guy in Bill Walsh. Bill Walsh developed him and Montana, get this, at the same time. There's certain coaches that are like quarterback whispers, and Bill Walsh was one of those guys. So when – let me just finish this up here with Rodgers – what would the compensation be? Hard to tell. You're never going to get your value back. What are you as the Packers going to be comfortable with? And I would also say this. What are the Broncos comfortable with in giving up when it comes to their future? See, I'm a big believer in this. Do, do, a couple of years ago, do you remember when the Lakers ended up sending – All those draft choices and players to the New Orleans Pelicans for Anthony Davis. Do you even know who the guys were involved in it? I know one of the ball kids were involved in it, but outside of that, do you guys even know how many draft choices were given up and surrendered by the Lakers and how much of the future they gave up just so they can get AD to play with the Lakers? Nobody cares about five to ten years from now. They only care about five to ten minutes. We just got through talking about that. That's clearly what both teams have to be looking at. And if you're Green Bay, are you okay knowing that you're going to walk back from being an NFC championship contending team and maybe two bad calls away from playing in the Super Bowl in Tampa to doing this? We may be a few players away and a few years away from getting back to being a 500 team. Having that – process where you have Brett Favre and you have Aaron Rodgers in succession. Friends, that doesn't happen. The only other place I've ever seen where Hall of Fame quarterbacks are stacked on top of one another was in San Francisco when they went from Montana to Young. That just doesn't happen. Look at in Denver. They're still searching for the dude. Look in Miami. Had they ever found a Chad Pennington? Have they ever found a quarterback since Dan Marino? They're praying that it's Tua Tagovailoa, right? They're praying it's him. Oh, hey, this is what I say when I see Tua. I don't know. We'll see. They went out and got him Jalen Waddell. We'll see if that helps. You're going to know after the first eight games of the season in Miami if Tua's the guy. was benched a few times. I, I, I looked at Joe Burrow, and by the way, he'll always be compared to those other two guys. Just the same way Melvin Gordon will always be compared to a Todd Gurley, anybody that's in your draft. Or if you want to go back to even the 4 draft when Ben Roethlisberger and uh, Philip Rivers and Eli Manning were all drafted in that draft, or the 83 draft when it was Marino and Elway and Tony Eason and all them dudes, Jim Kelly you'll always be compared to the draft class that you're in because people are going to look, God, I got a chance. Man, in that draft, I could have traded up and I, instead of getting um, a guy like a Baker Mayfield, man, I could have got Patrick Mahomes. Jesus. Or I could have got a Justin Herbert. You know, I mean, if you're Detroit, right. You know, Detroit passed on Justin Herbert. Look at Justin Herbert. Now you're like this, damn, that, can, that dude can play. Damn, that guy's a great football player, man. All right. We'll talk a little Buccaneers here. And I just love what the Bucks have done this offseason. They've won it. No matter who you think had a great draft, the Buccaneers have won the offseason. Why is that? You know, it, it, it's great. We're going to be talking to... Bruce Aaron's a hit football coach of the Buccaneers real soon here. But we 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 talked yesterday with Kevin Colbert, the general manager of the Steelers. And one of my favorite things, and I said it yesterday, about the Steelers is continuity, stability, just being on the same page at all time, players understanding their roles, you know, not doing anything unordinary they've been doing the same stuff for the last like 50 plus years and I love what they did in Pittsburgh and Kevin Colbert talked it well the Buccaneers have done that same thing and I so love the fact that Bruce Arians has won that Super Bowl and I gotta tell you Bruce welcome aboard here man I mean as a Buccaneer guy I'm sitting there watching that in Tampa Stadium at Raymond James, and I'm watching you hoist that bitch, and I'm sitting there going, unbelievable, dude. What a great moment for you, Bruce. Thanks for coming aboard here, man.
3: Oh, thanks, Dan. Yeah, man, it's so, so special. You know, uh, so much work went into that thing last year. It was such a crazy year with the pandemic and everything else. But, man, our and staff, our players just – they did a great, great job.
2: You know, Coach, you know – and I'm going to talk going forward because coaches don't like to talk in the rearview mirror. How do you put all that success away? And, and I compare coaches to great authors. And here's why. You put a masterpiece out, Coach. Now you're being asked to do it and write another one here. How do you put all that noise away that you guys have been going through? All the celebrating, man. And now you've got to rewrite a new masterpiece this year. How do you put that behind you?
3: Yeah, you talk about that team and this team you know that team was champs this team ain't done shit uh, all
4: right <laughs> so
3: we're going back to work we're going back to the fundamentals and uh they know how hard a training camp we have and if it's not at that intensity then we know something's wrong
2: what do you like about the offseason so far
3: i think the biggest thing was getting everybody back you know getting everybody back um no nobody took a big pay cut i mean they they all got paid they wanted to stay uh And then the draft, but we hit, we hit a, I thought, a home run in the draft. Can't wait to get started with them.
2: You know, Coach, I said this to people, and they're like, well, who do you think won the offseason? I said the teams that make the least amount of moves in the offseason are the teams that are going to have the greatest success because mm-hmm. continuity and stability. And, Coach, I'm thinking working with Coach Bryant in your past and working in Pittsburgh, we had Kevin Colbert, as I told you, yesterday on – and that's a, they've had three head coaches since 1969 when we put Neil Armstrong on the moon. I yeah. mean, you learn that from that. And when you get even your coordinators back, Coach, what an absolute just – I mean, that's the gold standard, isn't it, uh, bringing everybody back, including the coordinators?
3: It really is. And, um, you know, I, I would have – I'd been happy if both those guys got head coaching jobs. They deserved it. And uh, I'm sure they'll get them next year. But, uh, yeah, for us to – only lose one coach, who I was really happy. Antoine Randallio, he got the Detroit wide receiver job, which was an upgrade for him. And uh, so to have the whole coaching staff back, we didn't have to do anything this 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 February except just watch college tape and take some time off and get re- Go back and look at the tape, you know, see what you did right, see what you did wrong. But it was not a hectic offseason. We could relax some.
2: I'm going to tell you why I know you love Kyle Trask, the kid you draft from Florida. I saw Dan Mullen on um, like a a show the other day, and Dan Mullen was talking about Dak Prescott and how much he improved from this dude from this time to this time to this. Then I heard him talking about Kyle Trask. He sat behind some kid in high school. He he, He got one college offer, and then he developed into this type of dude. When you have to go through that kind of trial and tribulation in your career, not knowing where you are, and you keep getting better and better and better, Coach, you must have loved the journey the kid was on. That had to impress you.
3: Totally, bro. I mean, today kids opt out. I mean, oh, I quit. I'm not going to play. I quit. He stuck it out. He fought it out, and he, and he took the job. And when he took it, he never gave it back, you know. And uh, that's why I, I love his journey, his competitive spirit, everything that he brings And and he fits the prototype of what we're looking for as a quarterback.
2: Coach, you know, I I wanted to think of a question that for you was personal. And I'm going to take you back prior to the Brady decision. You're a guy that's had personal relationships with guys like Roethlisberger and Andrew Luck and go through all the litany of guys that you have had. And the number one thing that Jimmy Johnson taught me and even Ray Perkins A coach has to have a personal relationship with each and every single guy if he's going to be constructive and sometimes to be a little bit destructive in telling the kid that sucks and that's your MO. Well, you built that relationship up with Jameis Winston. How tough personally was it for you? You sat in the same room with the kid for 14 hours a day. You sat there and you had his back. You told him, and then all of a sudden Brady became available. Personally for you, coach, how tough was that to go like this? Damn, I really love this kid because everyone knows you loved the kid. You did. However, you had to look about what was best for the Buccaneers and for the rest of the 52 guys in the locker room. How tough was that for you?
3: That was really hard. I mean, no one no one works any harder than Jameis. You know, I had a football camp in Birmingham years ago, and I think he was in the ninth grade. He came and he won the quarterback competition. So I've known him for so long and known about him. Uh, my son was at UAB when when he was a legend in high school, so yeah, it, it was. Hard. I wanted to see him succeed, uh, but like you said, he, there's 52 other guys on the roster, and uh, you know, you look and see what's behind door number two at every position in the off season. Does it make you better? Then you have to set the personal aside, and uh, I mean, our players, everybody in our locker room, still loves Jameis that played with him, and have all the respect in the world, wish him well, but. When, when Tom came available, it was the missing ingredient for us to win a Super Bowl.
2: Absolutely. And, Coach, I'm going to go to the season because I remember the the, the Chicago game. You know, everybody's always looking at, you know, kissing cheerleaders and cash and paychecks. Things are going great. But to me, adversity is when you really find out. And that was that Chicago game. I saw Brady bitching. And I, I've heard people in New England tell me, and Jimmy Johnson used to tell me when Belichick would go down to the fishing trip, he would say that, We've got to do this. Too many pre-snap penalties, too many offsides, too many holding. I'm overthrowing the ball. And that's kind of what people didn't see or hear maybe when he was on the bench there. The next game, I think you guys had a bye. Then the next game, no pre-snap penalties, Um, no offsides, Uh, no turnovers. Was that the catalyst you think when everybody started to see at that moment? Hey, dude, we have really a great opportunity here, but we got to right the ship here.
3: There's no doubt. You know, we preached about it for a year and a half. Uh, and then that game was the culmination of totally beating ourselves. And it's like either you guys are going to decide. Now, Tom did go off on the sideline uh, with a couple other people, but in the locker room before we left that stadium, I looked at every guy and said, look, you got to make a commitment to each other that you're going to quit beating yourselves because we got plenty of talent to beat anybody that we play, but you're not going to beat anybody beating yourself. So we went from one of the most penalized teams – to one of the least penalized teams in, in, in one week.
2: Coach, let me, let me, let me throw this out. And, you know, I get asked this question, what do you think separates Brady from everyone else? And I said this, and maybe you see it. I said he's the greatest freaking teammate I have ever seen in my entire life when it comes to communicating, maybe even with the most difficult dudes. This guy had Aaron Hernandez next to him in his locker. He had Antonio Brown. He had Corey Dillon. He had all the guys who maybe had a couple dents in the fender coach, but he had these guys. he connect with those guys, and then he could connect with guys like Gronkowski. I mean, his his brain on being able to see the game and being able to intel take all the intel and to just use it and know where everybody goes, but the greatest asset has to be his teammate. He's a great teammate.
3: Yeah, I mean, you don't know that unless you're in the locker room with him, and um... – you know, when you reevaluate things and you say, oh, he can make every throw still, you know, he's fiery, you know, he's competitive, you know, he's smart. But until you see him with a young player, you know, I would tell a young player, hey, man, you're not pumping your arms out. Of- they're going dead out of your break. So you're standing up and he'd do it again. Tom would go, hey, man, you're not pumping your arms out of the break. You're dropping, your- you need to drop your hips. Okay, Tom, I'll go do it.
4: And, and they do it.
3: And it's, it's great coaching points. I would tell him to go tell them. All right, because they ain't listening to me.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. A couple more questions for Bruce Arians, the head coach of the Buccaneers. All right, Coach, you know what? You know, there was a lot of conversation, and I know people that have played with you and I know people that have worked with you. Tom Platt's one of my favorite hurricane guys in the history of Miami Hurricanes. He goes, make sure, you know, you know I'm a cane. I remember when you had him on your staff in Arizona. Dude, Tom Platt's my boy, man. I love that. Tell me the biggest influence you think you had on Tom Brady's career.
3: Oh, I don't know. I uh, that's probably a question for him on on I know what he's brought to all of us and uh, and he's just one of the guys, you know, and uh but for me he saw the game through a different lens. Huh? You know, he'd he'd done the same thing for over 20 years and we don't do it that way. And I think for him it was refreshing to see it done a different way.
2: Coach, do you think he kind of Gave you a new spark, too, when you saw his philosophy because here's Coach Arians. Let's get that bitch down the field, man. I'm I'm chucking that baby. Tom's more methodical outside of having Randy Moss coach. This guy wasn't really a guy throwing them 20-yard bombs. He was more intermediate in the slot, in the scene. He was more that stuff. And then you maybe even had to do this. All right, all right. So this guy doesn't want to get the ball too deep down the field. Let's be statesmen and come together here. Do you think that's a fair compromise you guys had?
3: No, I think it was very fair. But uh, when you look at the last eight games, we were pushing it down the field a lot. And uh, and also taking we, – we had a good feel for the whole offense. You know? And it's like we can check it down, we can check it down. But when that shot's there, take it. And, uh, yeah, he became fearless at that, you know, just going back to the end of the half at Green Bay. And uh, I'm all in on this call.
2: Hey, last question for you. Okay, you got your Super Bowl. I mean, there's really nothing left for Bruce Aaron. You get back into broadcasting. You were great at it. I mean, outside of the f bombs, coach, I think you're great with it. I mean, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm happy, right? a lot. <laughs> hey, well, I mean, how many more? How many more years are we going to do this? Are we going to ride it out with Brady and then evaluate it after that?
3: We'll see, man. It's so much fun right now. We have not having to coach coaches is a big part of it. You know. Uh, I know our staff will guys will get jobs, and uh, and then we'll see, you know. But uh, got a great group of younger coaches we're developing into those roles, so um, I'm having a lot of fun. So I don't I don't see it anytime soon.
2: Plus, you're in Tampa, man. I mean, what the hell could be better? You're out there fishing, and shit, right? Better, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Coach. I appreciate it, man, you for taking man. time for me. You bet, brother. You got it, man. That's Bruce Arians, a head football coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Look at the fun he's having, man. How much fun can you (laughs) think you have doing that? I'm coaching Tom Brady. I'm in Tampa. All right? (laughs) What the hell else fun can you have, man? I mean, dude, man. Hey, and by the way, I do think that that's the essential part of this whole thing here is the fact that they get all 22 guys back, all right? And on top of that, they get their two coordinators back. They got Byron Leftwich back, the offensive coordinator, and they end up getting Todd Bowles back. And I do agree with Bruce. I think these guys are going to get other opportunities to coach, and I do think that these guys are going to get more chances to really go out and pick their gig. I'll say this to you. Todd Bowles got eaten up with the Jets. When you go to New York and you're in New York with the Jets, look what it does. It kills coaches, and what else does it do? It kills quarterbacks, coaches and quarterbacks. That's what the Jets do. So Todd Bowles, I think, has built up the equity again, defensive coordinator of the Buccaneers, and I think he's going to get another opportunity. All right. I want to hit on this, and Eagle fans will know this. You know that extension that they gave Carson Wentz? Okay? We look back on that, and we go, why? You had years left still on his rookie deal. Should the Bills give Josh Allen a contract extension? They picked up the option. Okay? But should the Bills give him that extension? We'll hit on it next. You keep it right here on the National Football Show.
5: Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way.
1: On the field of life, First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers,
6: Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org.
7: The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history.
0: G-A-G-L-E-S-E-O. Jody Mad. The legendary sports talker joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network.
2: It's still rolling here on the National Football Show. Top of the hour, Mississippi State head football coach Mike Leach will get his thoughts on how COVID nineteen has impacted college football and his personal program in Mississippi State. Last year was his first year at Mississippi State with the Bulldogs, and they ended up going four and seven. But again, if you look at it a record, a record for any college football team a year ago, do you give him a hall pass? I do. There were so many things to have to worry about. For all those coaches. I'll tell you something too, and we'll talk to Mike at the top of the hour about this. But when you get into a position like you have to deal with parents all the time, and you have to have conversations to keep kids not afraid. Because nobody knew what was going on with the CDC. They still basically are telling you, I mean, hey, wear a mask outside. Some are saying that. Some are not saying that. I just look at it like this. Hey, man, you know what? (laughs) Hey, you know, my vaccination shot is just like Bruce Arian said, man. Hey, I'll tell you what. I'll take Jose Cuevo and I'll take a nice Corona and I'm ready to rock and roll. How you doing? Right? (laughs) I'm ready, man. All right. So we'll get his thoughts. That'll be at the top of the hour. All right. Big question going on now in Buffalo. They ended up picking up the option on Josh Allen. My assessment on Josh Allen's growth has been great. It's off the charts. It's continuing to skyrocket. Every time I watch that kid play, I mean, he was in the conversation a year ago for the Most Valuable Player Award. Was he not, right? He was in the conversation for the MVP. And the job that he did with the Bills and the job that Sean McDermott, the head coach of the Bills, has done, I think it's been pretty remarkable. I mean, what I love about how they're developing him, they're developing him with confidence. Yeah, you're great, you're doing this. Don't worry about it. You have a bad game, don't fret. You're not getting yanked. This is your job. You know, when you show up to work every day and you know that your job and the only thing you have to do is give great effort every day and your bosses are gonna be happy with that? And they're going to be happy with the result. Now, again, we'll evaluate it because it's an evaluation job here. If you're not winning 10, 11 games and you're not the favorite to win the AFC East every year, they're going to look for somebody else. Because when you're making the kind of money, $18.8 million, that option is going to pay in this year. And then eventually, when you start to escalate it up to being one of those Patrick Mahomes contracts, are you going to give Josh Allen a five-year deal that's going to be in the compensation range of say a $42 million a year contract, that's where you got to start saying, can that guy win a Super Bowl? Because look, guys, it's no longer this. You think this guy can win games for me. Hey, that's not good enough with the economics. Okay, here, let me, and I'm not going to pick on Jalen Hurts. I'm just going to use Jalen Hurts as an example here. So when when you look at Jalen Hurts, the Eagles are going to have to determine this year, it's not, can he win games? Can that guy win a Super Bowl? It's not about games. The money is too big. When a guy back in my time was making $700,000 or a million dollars a year, you know, you're, you're going to go, you know what, he's winning a lot of games for me. We're good. We're not in championship settings, but you know what we're doing? We're winning ball games. I'm okay. Fans are happy. We got the seats filled. That's how a lot of owners think. Remember something, an NFL owner to have to spend a lot of money, Back in the 80s, Ed DeBartolo lost money every single year that he owned the 49ers. Eddie made money. You know how Ed DeBartolo made money? You think he made money on those San Francisco 49 ers teams? You're crazy. They ran traditionally at losses back in those days when the contracts and the TV deals were not that big. He was in a crappy stadium at Candlestick Park. Ed DeBartolo made money when he was putting malls together like the Mall of America, And when he was putting things like that together, and that's the kind of money that those guys made. They were making money when it came to being non-football guys. The NFL guys that owned those legendary teams back in the day, like Eddie D, man, he didn't make any money when it came to that stuff. He didn't make it, man. That's not what that was. It was Ed DeBartolo loved football. He put Carmen Policy in charge. Then he would turn around and – He would let Bill Walsh make some of the personnel decisions with Carmen Policy and John McVeigh. So when we're talking about putting organizations together here, back then some owners didn't want to win. Some did it at a loss. And that's what ADD did. Now there were some owners that owned the Chargers. They didn't give a crap about winning. They only cared about putting fans in the stands at the queue and, you know, having Dan Fouts or, Philip Rivers throw the ball around the yard. you think the Spanos family, who easily could be the worst ownership group in all of the NFL, then nickel and dime over $300,000. You know why the Chargers are never good? Because the Spanos is on them. When Gene Klein owned them, Gene Klein was such an idiot that he passed on John Elway. He passed on John Elway because Dan Fouts at 37 years of age, get this, goes like this, I think I got another year. So Gene Klein, then owner of the team goes, "Oh, well then we're going to give him a contract extension." You should have fired that guy's ass in 10 seconds. You would have had John Elway. He wanted to play in San Diego at the time. Yeah, dumbass owners <laughs> making dumbass moves. And some guys make great moves. Buffalo has Remember too how this whole thing started with Josh Allen. And now, now again, the question is, do you give a contract extension to a guy who still got years or a year? On his rookie deal. Look how it worked out for Wentz. I think you've got to take every one of these situations. And I think you've got to put them together. And I think they all have to be separate. Okay. Carson Wentz's deal. When Carson Wentz, what was the game he went down in? Was it game 12 in Los Angeles? Or was it game 14? It was something, one of those games in L.A., On his way to being the most valuable player, he had everything going in his direction. The coordinator, who's a dear friend. We'll try to get Frank Reich on, the uh, head coach of the Colts. He's a dear friend of mine. And loved the relationship. You know why that dynamic worked? Okay. Do you know why that dynamic worked in Philadelphia? Think about it for a minute. Wentz goes down. What happens? Think of the room in Philly at that time. So Nick Foles, who, by the way, had been fired in numerous places. He was fired in St. Louis, right? I mean, Nick Foles was like a journey dude. I mean, he was nobody. But get this. He's in Philly. What was the background of those two coaches that were in Philly? I played against Doug Peterson in the World League. I think he was on the New Jersey, New York Knights, and I broke his shoulder. I got a great article that I separated his shoulder. It's great. <laughs> I slammed him on his head. It was crazy. We've been friends ever since too. Doug's laying low. We're all good. I've spoke to him a couple of days ago. And um, he was a backup who's up in green Bay too, right? What was Frank Reich? Well, let's look at Frank's background. Frank was a backup quarterback at Maryland for Boomer Esiason. Then he goes into the NFL. He's a backup quarterback for Jim Kelly. Then what else happens? He has two things happen in his career. Against my Miami Hurricane team, he had one of the greatest comebacks in the history of college football. I think we were up 38-0, and they came back and beat us like 42, 41, or 45, 42, something like that. Then he has the greatest comeback in NFL history, or one of them was in the playoffs, right? So when you're a backup quarterback and you're two guys, that's why Doug Peterson could connect and have a better verbiage and a better mindset with Nick Foles, because all these dudes were backup quarterbacks. These guys were coming from the backup quarterback angle. Nobody was a star, nobody was given a starting job, everybody was a everybody was a journeyman in that room. Frank Reich had been moved around, and you're you're kind of like a gypsy when you're an assistant coach. So these guys were all gypsies in that eagle locker room. Wentz was the big first-round draft choice out of a no-name college. They were handing him everything. Yeah, you're our guy, you're number one. And then you had Foles who was a journeyman. You had Frank Wright, who was a journeyman. You had Doug Peterson, the head coach, is a journeyman. That's why that dynamic worked. And then you had injuries in the postseason. And that's why when you got to the championship game, the Eagles, I mean, they beat them up with their own D lines. And then Foles made spectacular plays. One of the streakiest guys I've ever seen. And I'll say this to you too. If that dumbass Alshon Jeffries doesn't Drop that football in the Saints game. They may have played in another NFC title game with that dude. I think that dude, again, had hands of brick, and I think both those receivers, Jackson and him, I think they were paper mache Every time you see these guys, they want to put their hand up like they're drowning in a pond of water. Holy cow, dude. You talk about soft. You talk about hurting your football team. Those guys didn't want to play. They wanted to get – you know how every – When Alshon Jeffries and Deshaun Jackson ended up getting their paychecks, you know how they did it? They they did it like this with their head down and their hand out. And I would say this to you. When Jesse James robbed banks, he used a gun at least. These guys were robbing banks, man. I mean, unbelievable how that thing went on for as many years as it went on. And they allowed it because how he made the moves. Again, talking about going back again to Josh Allen. And you know what, too? I'll tell you something that the great organizations do. They make the tough cut or they make the tough trade. You know, sitting around, and here's another issue that always seemingly sparks up with the Cowboys. A Jerry guy. This guy's my guy here. Uh, You know Sean Lee, the linebacker who just retired? They should have cut that guy's ass four years ago. You think Bill Belichick keeps that guy around as injured as as he was? got had to cut that guy's ass in four years ago, I keeping that dude around. Hey, dude, just because I love you and I like you, that has nothing to do with winning. It has zero to do with winning. So, I mean, making the tough cuts, making the right personnel decisions, putting the right players around them, building the other side of the football up. That's what they're doing in Buffalo. Again, the question does, and I haven't answered it yet. I can't believe I'm getting, going around my rear end to get to where I need to get to my point here. But Josh Allen? I'm not giving him a contract extension. Why would I? Let this bitch play out. Let this bad puppy play out here. He's making 18.8 million on the option. Come on, man. I'm not getting in that same decision that the Rams had to make with Jared Goff and that other teams had to make like the Eagles when it came to Carson Wentz. If I've got another year – now, look, as a player, I want you to give me an option as quick as possible. Of course I want you to. Why wouldn't I want you to show me that you're going to be, uh, you know, in a position where – and I would say this to you. Baker Mayfield not getting his contract extension but getting the option picked up, that guy hasn't won a division title yet. That guy hasn't really done squat yet. Now, they had a great year last year. He played better after week eight. He did. It's funny how he played better after Odell Beckham went down. But, I mean, I'm not giving these – extent. I'm. Not, it's crazy because I'm talking from a management standpoint, and I don't really like to be talking from a management standpoint on that because at the end of the day here, man, you know, hey, I look at it like this, okay? As a player, I want to get as much money as I possibly can, okay? I want to get the money, and I want to get it as much as I can. So I'm not doing that, man. I'm just not giving Josh Allen that contract extension. All right let's trans let's transition into this. God I got a lot of things to get to here. Just a boatload of stuff here man. I'm like on two now. It's great catching up with Bruce Aarons. by the way, I looked down at my phone he said big sales thanks so much for having me and you know what he had He had like a shot glass filled with whiskey. <laughs> I'd show it to you but his phone number's on it. So he goes like this. I'm drinking whiskey now at my desk. <laughs> I love Bruce. Bruce Arians, man. He's a special dude. All right. So a question that I like, get constantly asked on my Twitter page at Dan Show. What do you think Urban Meyer is going to do this year as a head coach? Remember something here. Coaching college kids versus coaching NFL guys. There are major distinctions in this. The most important one is the pro guys get paid. Okay? And no pro guy likes this. Well, I gotta tell you, Dan. I really love the way you play. Really do it for the team. I can't even do it anymore because having gotten paid. Wait a minute. I think I even got a paycheck. Oh my god, check this out. I can't even believe I have it here. When you get here, here's one of my paychecks that I got from the Detroit. For the Detroit Lions, what's that say? Five grand? Oh no, it's it's a um, it's a worldly check. I got one of my checks in here. I got to find my check. My 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 one of my checks. So you get you get you get per diem money. I got a I got a Lions paycheck around here somewhere. Got a five thousand dollar. When you start making money, okay, and you start getting paid to do things like this per diem right here is for food. They gave me two hundred dollars when we went on the road, so I needed to get some food. Everything's paid for. There's 200 bucks, okay? When you start getting paid, you can't lie to guys. You can't lie to guys, man. You can't do that coach speech like, you know, here at the University of Miami, we really love you here, Dan. We really do. My wife always started telling me, so they used to coach you guys? What do you mean? Oh, you guys are really great, but they're making five million dollars a year. Yeah, it's kind of how it goes. Oh, really? So you did it for free? Well, yeah, I got I got a scholarship and all, you know, but oh they're making five million dollars and you can't even keep your shoes. And they're patting you on the head, telling you how great you are. Okay. And I used to always think about that, and I used to go, damn. Okay. I guess so. That's coach speech. See, you could talk like that to a kid in college. You can go like this. Hey, man. You know, it's all good. And the pros, you gotta be more honest. what well, that player's gonna tell you to kiss his ass. Coach, come on, man. You don't have to give me coach speech. That's why in the NFL, man, there's no halftime speeches. You know what your halftime speeches in the NFL? Your paycheck on Tuesdays. When that direct deposit hits, on Tuesday, that's your coach speech. I don't need some guy sitting in an NFL locker room going like this to me. Hey, man, you know, new rockney, win one for the gip. I don't need it. I don't need it because come Tuesday, my $25,000 is in there. I'm like this. That's my coach speech. That's all I really need to motivate me is my direct deposit. So Urban Meyer is going to have to do this. And by the way, I want to tell you why Urban Meyer – why do you think Urban Meyer coaching the NFL and not college football or taking the Texas job? Or wait for Brian Kelly to maybe to go to the NFL and get the Notre Dame job, because do you know you do understand that Urban Meyer had one out in his contracts when he was at Utah, Florida, and at Ohio State. If the Notre Dame job ever came available, he could he could interview for it. He coveted that job his entire life, the Notre Dame job. Like many people always assume, Bill Belichick wanted the New York Giant job because he was passed over for Ray Handley. That's a fact. Parcells hosed him, because if you remember that dynamic, how that worked out, remember how it worked out? All of a sudden, Belichick decided to take the Cleveland Brown job. A week later, Bill Parcells retired, and they gave the job to Ray Hanley. Bill wanted that job. He coveted that job. Yeah, Urban Meyer wanted the Notre Dame job. Well, after that whole thing happened, with the wide receiver coach and him hiding that he was beating his wife, you're not going to walk into some kid's house and go like this. Hey, I'd like to have you come play at um, Ohio State. You know, we believe that we're raising really fine young men. Well, what about your position, coach? Earl Bruce's nephew beating his wife for five years. You had him at Florida and you had him at Ohio State. You can't go into that and overcome that. His only avenue was to coach at, the NFL level that's why he's in the NFL he's in the NFL because he has to be and he took a gigantic job where his name recognition is God in Florida and now he gets a guy like Trevor Lawrence to try to develop I happen to think that he's going to do a great job there because he's going to hire the best people he possibly can that's exactly what he does and that's exactly what he needed to do Jimmy Johnson was on our show a couple of days ago and so said it so we're going to take a quick time out. We're going to talk to our friend Mike Leach. Keep it right here on the National Football Show.
5: Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way.
1: On the field of life, First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local
6: Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org.
7: The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history.
0: Jody Mann. The legendary sports talker joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mac and Jody Mac across the Jacob Media Network.
2: Hour 2, Dan Silio here on... The National football show. By the way, I ended up finding that Roy Lions ten thousand dollar bonus check. See that when you start getting paid. Okay, you know what this bonus check was for? This 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 10 grand here. I think it was for working out. You know, I, I mean, I think they gave me a ten thousand dollar check they go, like this. Yeah, here's your like your um off-season workout money. What I mean, I used to do that stuff for free, <laughs> man. I mean, it was, it was crazy. You did it your whole life, and all of a sudden, NFL teams come to you, and they got a $10,000 check for you, and you're going like this. Holy cow, man. This is great. That's why you can't BS guys when you get to the National Football League because these guys get paid just like the head coach does. So you have to actually be more honest with the kids. You see, in college, when you're a college football coach, you got 85 guys that you have to deal with. Okay, And you got first-rounders. If you're a big-time college football program and you've recruited the hell out of people, you've got guys on your roster that are going to play in the National Football League, man. So you can go to any one of those guys at any time. And, I mean, you, you, you don't really have to be as open as you would with an NFL guy. You've got to tell that guy flat out in the NFL – hey, we're going to play the younger guy here, man, because we drafted him and we think that we can get a little bit more production. He may help us in the salary cap. So I just don't want... It's, it's a business move. And that's exactly what you have to understand at all times is that you have to be in a position where you've got to be really honest with the NFL guy. If you're honest with the NFL guy, you're going to go far when it comes to communicating with those players. You see, in college... You can set the standard of what you want in your program, and those players all have to follow. And what you're going to do is you're going to cherry pick the guys that you see out of those 85 guys that are following what you're saying. And there's going to be about 20% of that roster that you have in college that you're either going to have to connect with those kids a little bit better through your assistant coaches, or what you're going to have to do is end up jettisoning them off your program. That's why you see a lot of kids nowadays in the transfer portal because a lot of kids that show up to these places like Alabama or USC or some of the big programs in the country, you're not getting a true opportunity. Look at Alvin Kamara, for instance. Alvin Kamara was in the Alabama program at first and he was going nowhere. You had Derrick Henry and a whole boatload of guys that were on that football program. And you know what? He was getting no touches. Nick Saban didn't really see him when he was there at all. Then he ended up having to go to Tennessee and That, it happens a lot. Guys get swallowed up sometimes in some of these programs. My case, for instance, too, just my small little world. My small little world here, man, I got caught up in some of the things that were going on at Maryland. And I was fortunate enough to land with Jimmy Johnson in the University of Miami. And it just so happens it was the best program in the country. And it worked out for me. But you're seeing a lot more of that now when we're talking about how the portals used, how you, we were talking about Urban Meyer succeeding in the national football league. I think Urban's going to do it right. I think he's going to hire the best assistant coaches. Uh, Shay Khan, the owner of the Jaguars, I think has really done a wonderful job at fixing up the facilities, which were in dire need of it. And on top of that, that, you know, you now have the number one overall selection when it comes to Trevor Lawrence. And you're going to bring the best assistant coaches. You're going to try to put the best people that you possibly can when it comes to having him in your organization. We're efforting our friend Mike Leach, the head football coach at Mississippi State. And we're also going to talk to Jason Cole. That will be at the bottom of the hour. Our Hall of Fame inside voter will get his thoughts on what he thinks this Aaron Rodgers story plays out and how it plays out. We'll also ask him his thoughts on the NFL draft. So that'll be... At the bottom of the hour. I do want to transition into this now. And that's Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones is in a funny position right now. As the general manager of the team of the Dallas Cowboys. Let's just take this out. For instance. And let's just put this to the side here. Him being the owner of the team. I'm not evaluating him on. How he's done. I'm evaluating on what he's going to do over these next, say, four years. Jerry's old now. We're talking a guy almost 80. The chances of him winning another Super Bowl in the next three years are what? Okay, you have to ask yourself are what? I think they're slim to none. Because over the last 27 years, What we've seen is we have seen Jerry not make the right personnel decisions. And I'm going to say something else that's more important. And this is where I'm going with the Dallas Cowboys. You know, everyone is telling me that the Dallas Cowboys are the best team in the NFC East. I don't believe that. I don't think that the Dallas Cowboys are the best team in the NFC East. Could the Eagles end up surprising people? They could. Do I think the Washington team thing could absolutely? Do I think the Giants could? Yes. Could the Cowboys? Maybe. Here's 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 what's going on in Dallas compared to other places. What you have in Dallas is you have way too many speed bumps. Last hour we talked to Bruce Arians, the head football coach of the Bucks. You, do you know that Bruce Arians when? When six o'clock hits Eastern Time, Bruce Arians is in his car and he's home. He's not sitting around burning the midnight oil, figuring out plays like dumbass John Gruden does. He's not doing that. He is sitting around and he's making sure everybody gets. You know, there's a great there's a great line that Marv Levy, the former Buffalo Bills head coach, used to tell me all the time. Every time we used to get him on the show, and that was this that, hey, if you're just guarding your desk, go home. I don't need it. I I don't need people just to sit around to guard your desk. That's not gonna happen, okay? I'm not gonna have you sit around and guard your desk. If you're not gonna be productive, go home. And that's how Marv ran his team. And that's pretty much how you see some of these coaches Run their football team like Bruce Arians. Now, when you have Jerry Jones in the mix and you have ownership that's constantly in the meddling of the roster, you see, you know, you don't, okay, look, I'll I'll give you and I'll try to put this in a food context here because I like doing that, right? You ask me to make a really great dinner, but you're doing all the shopping. There's some things maybe on how I want to make my Italian meatballs that you didn't get and what I have to do sometimes is I have to take what you shop for and I have to make these Italian meatballs are they going to sound are they going to taste like how I want them well where's the parmesan cheese you didn't have it okay so I have to use other cheese well what happens then is you're not getting the flavor you want in your football team when you have other people shopping for your players or you have other people shopping for cool coaches Do you know that Mike McCarthy had no say in whatsoever uh, when it came to the coordinators of his football team? No say at all. So like when Kellen Moore was retained by Jerry Jones as the offensive coordinator, and Mike McCarthy was a play caller up in Green Bay, did you not think you were going to get the same type of response and how the offense was going to be moved because Kellen Moore, the offensive coordinator, was hired by Jerry Jones? Jerry thinks he's got the next head football coach there. And so when you have that dilemma like that and you have that kind of situation, okay, you're going to get the same result. You know, publicly, Mike McCarthy's hire was basically a Band-Aid over all the things that had happened with the Cowboys, poor personnel decisions, overpaying guys. So where I'm going with this is, will Jerry Jones ever win a championship in the remaining years of his life or the remaining time that he's running the football team? My, my answer is no, because he's been walking in the same footsteps that he's planted in the sand here since Jimmy Johnson and Bob Ackles left the building with Bob Ackles who worked with Jimmy Johnson in building the football team. And those guys were putting all the personnel people together. Um, that's how they won football games. Jerry, sat, Jerry was actually forced to set back. He was actually forced when it came to having to watch Jimmy go out and make personnel decisions at all times. Jerry had nothing to do. See, this is what people still can't get. Jerry Jones had nothing to do with those three Super Bowl championships except paying the bills. Is that a lot? Yeah, that's a big part of it is not hedging and buying and, and 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 spending the money. Jerry has never been shy on that. But when it when, when he tries to tell you that he had everything to say and there wasn't anything that went on during that time that he didn't sign off on, that's not really the truth. Okay? When it came to Troy Aikman being signed and drafted, Jimmy Johnson didn't even have anything to do with that. You know who did? Gil Brandt, Tex Schramm, and Tom Landry. If you go back to that time, the UCLA Bruins had played in the Cotton Bowl at that time, and that decision had already been made organizational-wise that Troy was going to be the number one overall pick. There was no wavering on that, even when Jerry bought the team. They were going to select Troy Aikman no matter what. That's why Gill was the only guy that remained from the Tom Landry era, and that was the fact that, again, you go back and you go back into that time, uh, Gil Brandt was the only guy. Tex Ram was fired. Tom Landry was fired. Everybody in that organization was fired except for Gil. And Gil was a personnel, rec- he was their personnel director. He was a really great one Hall of Fame guy. But when it came to drafting, making the Herschel Walker trade, where did where's Jerry's name in that? Jerry didn't go, oh, okay. I give you my Pope's wave that it's cool to do and to go up and <laughs> And to uh, draft uh, whoever you want and to trade whoever you want, that's not how that's going to happen here. Okay, so at the end of the day here, let's be candid here. Okay, so, all right, we're going to take a quick timeout. And do me a favor. Think about this, the impact that the COVID-19 had on college football. Okay, we'll hit on that next. Hopefully we'll run it down with our friend, Mike Leach. Keep it right here on the National Football Show.
5: Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way.
1: On the field of life, First Trust Bank is there for you.
0: On three. One, two, three. Because
1: Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia
6: bank. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m.
2: type of day or days like this first hour we have Bruce Arians on and Bruce does things his way man hey it's his way or the highway and one of my favorite college football coaches is the same way it's our friend Mike Leach the head football coach at Mississippi State coach are you uh on vacation are you like relaxing where what are you doing now
8: well I'm in Florida you know just trying to keep up with things down here but uh we just finished uh spring football and i thought I had a really good spring football and we're in the middle of recruiting now but they still won't let us on the road so uh it's all doing uh by virtual you know they try to uh you know slowly you know one step after the next they're trying to add a little more joy to football but they're kind of stubborn to do it any faster than necessary and uh so anyway yeah recruiting's going good
2: coaches this whole process, the way that the rules have been good for some conferences, not good for the other conferences, has it been confusing? And how much impact do you think this has had on college football, the way that we're going, stopping and
8: starting with some of the conferences and some of the teams? I think – I think. well, I, I would like to think everybody's heart's in the right place, and I think it probably is. There's definitely been some incompetent moves in the process, especially – You know, as they constantly contradict uh, themselves on what's allowed and what's not. And then, of course, you know, the tough thing that college football has is they've got to find a way for one size to fit as many teams as they can. Uh, I think it's been hardest on the players. I think where it's hardest is, uh, you know, players become uh, creatures of habit, they crave uh, routine. And I think that, uh, you know, it's shot that full of holes. I mean, uh, when you go out there and practice now, everybody's excited to practice. I mean, or at least, uh, it seems like more so than ever before because, you know, uh, they've been deprived this opportunity and they're excited to get out there and work. I, and so I thought that, uh, you know, there's been some high points and some st- uh, things like that. I don't think, uh, anybody, uh, really feels like, uh. Uh, this is an ideal situation, or the way we ought to go through it, if we can help it. You know,
2: Coach, how has this impacted your football program?
8: Well, it was it was tough the first year because uh, you know, is we were it, it was the first time for our staff and our team to be together, and then you know, we weren't able. The most important thing is you kind of get to know your team, the moving parts, uh, <clears throat> kind of bond with your players, and create that chemistry that makes a team. And not, not allowed to do it because we weren't allowed to be around each other. So in this business of talking on computers doesn't totally do the trick. But uh, And then we couldn't have spring football. So it made it tough. I mean, camp was exciting. And then uh, we were the youngest team in the BCS. So we definitely had plenty of work to do. But um, we've got all these guys back, and we're thrilled about that.
2: You know, Coach, I had a conversation with – University of Miami's Manny Diaz a couple days ago, and he said the toughest thing that he had to deal with last year was that comforting the players and constantly listening to mothers and fathers calling him every night, reassuring that it was safe to go out and play. I wonder how much of a dynamic that went into your assistant coaches, too, because, you know, they're looking to you as father figures. Many of these kids couldn't go home for a a long period of time because of the restrictions that people wanted to put on us, the mask, the not mask. I mean, that had to be a whole different component to your coaching last year.
8: Well, it definitely was. And then I, because, you know, um, the college football and and the nature of uh, the way it is from one year to the next uh, families get used to uh, uh, you being able to handle and take care of uh, their student athlete on campus. And, Uh, whether it's uh, uh, food, provide, occupy, uh, keep in shape. And unfortunately, uh, some people, uh, you know, I think the anxiety was the worst part. Uh, Some people by process of uh, elimination sat uh, home and watched TV and ate, which didn't help them in the course of the season. Uh, Others worked quite hard. Everybody was happy to get back together. And then, um, so I do think there was definitely – um some anxiety and there were a lot of phone calls as far as uh you know how are we going to move forward and stuff like that and you know and the thing is is uh there was a lot of change in direction and uh you didn't really find out oftentimes uh until the spur of the moment coach you've been in so many
2: great conferences big 12 when you were at texas tech and then you go over to the pac-12 at washington state now you're in the southeastern conference you know 65 guys were taken this past weekend in the seven rounds. It just shows you the dominance of that conference. I mean, Coach, how how much of a change was it for you, and were you surprised? Now, maybe the COVID-19 kind of put back those limitations on what you truly saw with what these programs are all about, but I would imagine still you saw a boatload of talented kids in that conference. What's the separator between the SEC and the rest of these conferences?
8: I think it's overall quality players. I I mean, I coached in the SEC – uh, years ago at University of Kentucky in the late nineties. And, you know, it's the same uh, as it was then um, uh, it's uh, everybody's got good quality players, but you have good quality players too. Uh, so, it, you know, things are pretty relative that way. I think the biggest thing uh, in particular is uh, I think defensive linemen to a lesser degree, offensive linemen, but I think defensive linemen and in big fast guys on the front that, Every team has, you know, not just some teams have, every team has. A lot of times, you know, everybody lines somebody up there, um, you know, and so two of them are bonafide. You know, you might have a real good team uh, in uh, in a lot of other conferences, but in a lot of cases they might have one or two truly great defensive linemen. And then the other two guys are the offensive linemen that were just fast enough and athletic enough to – to get by there, but would be even better offensive linemen. And I think that there's a lot of uh, defensive linemen in the in the SEC, and I think the offensive linemen are big, strong, quick guys too. So I think the trenches is the bigger difference. I think a lot of times everybody wants to, you know, say the skill guys, but I haven't found that to really be the case. You know, I mean, um, you'll get, you know, you look around the conference and, some of the skill guys, the great skill guys, they're from anywhere, from Texas to California to once in a while the Northeast, and yeah, plenty of them are from down here. But I think the difference is the is the linemen. and that uh, you know just uh, cre- you know creates a, a higher level of intensity. And I've I've always thought that there's more consistently teams can line up with four bona fide D linemen, and if those aren't hard to get, get uh, just go to the mall. And, uh, and, and first of all, count the guys that are big enough and built like it. And then have them run a couple races, and you won't come out of the mall with very many D-linemen. You know, you'll have quite a few safeties. You'll have quite a few receivers, you know, and a running back here and there, which you don't need so many of them. And uh, you'll even have some O-linemen, not not as many as you need or you want. But D-linemen, I mean, that's, that's going to be very hard to find.
2: Two last questions for you, Coach. Um, the national championship and how many teams make it to the final four. You know, I say this to you, man, with the, the greatest thing about the basketball tournament, when you're in a 68-team tournament, you truly have a chance of making it to the national championship game if you're Butler. But if you're a small school and your opportunity, say a San Diego State or, say, another conference school or a non-conference school like BYU, you're never getting – Coastal Carolina is never playing in the final four. I don't care what anybody says – You're never playing it. How do you make that thing fair and open for everybody to win a national championship? Is there an answer?
8: Oh, of course there's an answer. And the answer is really pretty obvious. Um, You know, like, and and here's some of the examples. Examples would be um, the 64-team tournament in basketball. Everybody leaves that very happy. I mean, whether they feel like they should have won this game or that game or this call or that call, they know they had a shot to play for it uh, NFL playoffs. Another example where people leave, uh, happy. Okay. Uh, the one double A, they call it something else now, but I forget, uh, uh, and division two national championship where a significant number of teams play. And you feel like that, okay, maybe this team's better than that team, but uh, you had to win this many games to win it. And so you truly deserve it. Uh, the only, uh, playoff system that anybody has any dissatisfaction with is major division one. So let me think, what can we do? I'm trying to think, Oh, maybe could, we could do it like everybody else, right? Maybe we can go ahead and, um, you know, have, uh, I think 16 is the minimum, but have, uh, but have, uh, I think, yeah. And I think you could have 64, but I think 16 is the minimum Have 64 32 would be quite comfortable, but, um, you know if you cut it back uh, if you cut the regular season back to 10 uh, games you could have an extended playoff you could have two off weeks uh, in between and you could uh, and then you could uh, be done by January 1 or on January 1 if you chose to i mean i've mapped it all out and tell people are tired of hearing about it but the thing is is yeah i think you need an extend uh, expanded playoff system i think everybody'd get very excited and i think you can utilize the bowl games to usher it in, too.
2: Coach, final question for you. I mean, Coach Johnson was on the show a couple days ago, and we were talking – I was talking to Kevin Colbert about it off the air when Kevin was uh, on the program. I mean, I say, can you imagine Mike Leach's spread offense in the NFL? They're playing what this dude did at Texas Tech. I mean, he's a modern-day Mouse Davis. This guy's a modern-day Mouse Davis. I mean, how about putting – he goes – does he have interest in ever wanting to coach in the NFL? I go, I'm not sure I've ever heard him say it coach. Would you have interest in coaching in the national football
8: league? I I mean, I've always been open to pretty much anything, you know, but, uh, you you focus on the job you have, try to be the best you can do the best you can there. And, and heck uh, maybe coach Johnson needs to take me fishing again. One time he (laughs) took me fishing and it was like one of the greatest times of my life. And, uh, And Terry Bradshaw was there hoisted me over his head like a Raggedy Ann doll and would toss me around a little. And in the end, we caught a whole bunch of fish. So it was outstanding.
2: Fantastic. All those game balls back there, Jimmy gave them to me. And my national championship pick, uh, uh, two national championship rings are back there from Miami when we played there. Coach Johnson, he had Urban Meyer down there. You know what he told him, Coach? He goes like this. The reason you'll succeed is because of the reason that you would succeed, Coach. You coach – I mean, you recruit every one of these kids from around – look, you're in Florida right now. And if you get to the NFL and you get into that draft process we saw last week, Coach, you're going to be primed to know, oh, yeah, I remember that kid playing at Tennessee. We were recruiting him to try to bring him down to Mississippi State. So that's why I think coaches like yourself would have the advantage going into the NFL the same way Meyer has going into Jacksonville.
8: Well, it's going to be exciting to watch. As a matter of fact, uh, Gardner Minchie was my quarterback at Washington State. And, of course, uh, you know, they uh, they drafted Trevor Lawrence, so that's going to be an interesting deal. But, uh, uh, yeah, I wish Urban the best. As a matter of fact, he comes down here all the time, and I fish with him a bunch. Have a great one, Coach. I appreciate you taking time. Don't pull too many
2: kids out of Florida there. and You know, I need those guys to go over to Miami. So... <laughs>
8: Well, we're gonna need a couple of them though, so uh but uh, uh, yeah, shoot, I wish you guys the best and uh thank and you. It should be an exciting season. Thank you,
2: coach. We'll be pulling for you this year, Mike leach, the head football coach at Mississippi state. yeah, yeah he's can you imagine him in the National Football League? Oh my god, okay, I mean, the spread offenses that he has, I mean, would be absolutely amazing to see what he could do with those quarterbacks in the NFL. I mean, I, I had forgotten that Gardner Michoud was a player for him at Washington State. I do think Trevor Lawrence is going to be the opening day starter. I mean, Urban Meyer's not taking that job to put Michoud in as a starting quarterback in Jacksonville. Boy, and I'll tell you what, if that guy is a starter on opening day – The Jags have big-time problems when it comes to the opening, okay? When it comes to the opening of the season for the Jacksonville Jaguars. All right, we're going to take a quick timeout You keep it right here on the National Football Show.
5: Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite it's your vacation and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one the wildwoods your vacation your way
1: Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you.
0: Seven, four, three. One, two, three. Because
1: Philadelphia dreams deserve a
6: Philadelphia Bank. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of the Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org.
7: The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history.
0: Jody Mad. The legendary sports talker joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network.
2: You know, we've had some really interesting dudes on the program the last. Guests, we've had Bruce Arians, who who ends up like packing up and going home at six o'clock. I just had Mike Leach on. You talk about a strange bird, but all these guys are successful. So now we have to bring a dude in that kind of like brings everything back to, I don't know, just being uh, real, I guess. And it's our friend, <laughs> Hall of Famer. Uh, when it comes to Hall of Fame voting, our friend Jason Cole, who's been my friend for, let's see, at least twenty-five years. And if you say anything crazy, Jason, I will have to send an Italian guy to knock on your
4: door there somewhere. I know forward. all those Italian guys, and they know they like me better than they like you. And you're a paizan, and they like me better. Can you tell me? That's how this works,
2: okay? Why
4: do you think that vowel with the E while you're on all the time, huh? Yeah, exactly. That helps a little bit. Also, I was very close with Meyer Lansky at his time.
2: Okay. Yeah, very good. Hey, I always have to have my wife handle my money too, so – I tell you yes. guys have to have other people handle their money. All right. I digress here. Let's start it off here in Green Bay. I'm not going to pollute the question. I'm just going to ask you for your overall synopsis of what you see going on between the Packers and Aaron Rodgers.
4: Go. A incredibly frustrated um, player who thinks that his career has been wasted for the past 10 years may be right about that. Should have won probably two to three Super Bowls by now and has is seized both the end of his career coming and there's sort of that mortality of it, which is causing even greater angst than before. So he has to make a decision right here, right now. Is he going forward in Green Bay, and are they going to say, we're committed to you for three more years so that he feels comfortable he can win a title there, or does he need to get out now so he can go to some place where he has a chance to win a title in those three years because he doesn't want to get midway along the line and they kick him out of there and he has doesn't have the kind of control that he wants to have over his career. I think that that's what this is ultimately about. Your legacy is being determined right now. Are you the guy who... Are you sort of the... Atlanta Braves of quarterbacks, where you were so incredibly talented, like when when the Braves had Smoltz and Maddox and Glavin and Avery to a certain extent, but they only won one title, right? Aaron Rodgers, you're the same thing. You're you're the most physically gifted quarterback of your of your time of your era, and I know Mahomes is taking that 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 throne, but for the last twelve years, it's been Rodgers who's been the most physically gifted guy one title. That's frustrating for him.
2: And I would say this to you too, Jace, you got to remember where he's from too. He's a California kid and you've had 30 years of quarterbacking between Favre and Rogers. You've yeah. got two titles, right? Well, when yeah. you had that same type of dynamic in San Francisco with Montana and Young, you had five championships numerous NFC title games, you were playing in an era where you had dynamic teams like Washington and New York and Chicago, and you were still winning championships. The the
4: bigger problem – look, I understand what you're saying. The bigger problem is this, and every quarterback of this area is dealing with it. Brady's got seven. (laughs) Okay? And they all look at Brady, every single one of them, I know in their own mind says, I'm more physically gifted than that guy. Every single one of those, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Peyton Manning, all those guys, they say, wait a sec, he's got seven? Seriously, he's got seven? How does he have seven? I'm better. I i, I can throw a ball further. I can throw it harder. I can do all these things better. I can throw off-platform. I can do this. I can do that. He's got seven, and they're all freaking out about it. And they're all freaking about out about how he goes to Tampa, and they just give him weapons. They give, him, they give him the keys to the car. You had Bruce Arians on an hour ago. I'm sure it was a fabulous listen. But Bruce is like, look, do what you need to do. Make this happen. We're going to give you Evans and Godwin and, you know, the, jo- that Johnson kid, the Miller kid. Um, we'll AD. get you Antonio Brown. We're going to get you Gronk, Bray, you know, Howard. All these guys, we're giving you weapons, okay? Go do what you need to do right? They go get Gio Bernard this, this offseason because they addressed one of the most critical needs of that team is a guy who can consistently catch the ball in the third down. That was one of the things that they were missing the most last season because he didn't have a true James White type of receiver coming out of the backfield. I know Fournette had a bunch of catches in Jacksonville a year before, but I'm sorry. He is not a gifted third down receiver. That's why they went out and got Gio Bernard. They should have traded for James White last year. Um, and that would have made it easier. But they still want a title, so it doesn't really matter. You know what? And
2: you bring a great point up, Jace, in that. So Brady, like, he he forces his hand in New England, goes down to Tampa.
4: Well, they like, didn't really he, have to force his hand. And like, we
2: he, he didn't. No, because they, they showed him the avenue on how to walk out the door. Yeah. But, but yeah. Jace, Jace, to your point, he gets down there. And they even asked him two weeks ago. Jason Light goes to him and says, Hey, we're thinking about taking Kyle Trask from Florida. I mean, we're all good. Every I don't I'm not saying that they they made that draft choice because Brady just gave him the Caesar wand up and down. That's not, but he made him kind of part of the process. And when yeah. you look at this offseason, Jace, you got Russell Wilson making conversation. You've got Aaron Rodgers now, like you said. Am I wasting my time up in Seattle winning one title, two NFC titles? Can I do something somewhere else? Same thing with Aaron Rodgers. You think Brady's had that much of an influence on these offseason with these superstar quarterbacks? I seasons? think it, it
4: plays with guys' minds. There's no question about it. Like Roethlisberger, what did he talk about early in his career? I want to win four or five titles. I want to have as many as Bradshaw. I want to have as many as Montana. That's how you. And and as all these guys, we're in the greatest era of quarterbacking era ever right we had both the mannings we had breeze we had you know wilson rogers roethlisberger there's probably you know eight guys who played in the last 12 years who are going to make the hall of fame there's only 25 quarterbacks pure quarterbacks in the hall of fame period we're going to have like this just explosion of guys in the next six seven years who make the hall of fame as quarterbacks because there are so many great ones, and we cater, the game caters to those guys so very much. And I'm not even talking about Mahomes because that career's got to play out, right? But I'm just talking about the guys in their 30s who are going to age out or have already aged out here over the last couple of years. It's just it's phenomenal the number of quarterbacks who are coming out of this era who are Hall of Fame players. I mean, you know, Philip Rivers compares to, to Dan Fouts. I'm not sure Philip Rivers is going to make it. But but he compares to him. So you think about that. And all these guys are sitting there going, we're among the greatest of all time. We are Hall of Fame guys. And that one dude is killing us. You Wouldn't know, it frustrates you. Oh, no, absolutely.
2: I would think that. And 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 I think, you know, the, the whole conversation about not building the team around him. But, Jason, I think that's not just it. I think what happened in last year's title game. Watch this. You, you give up a personnel play at the end of the half. You have a coaching decision that not going forward on fourth down. You draft a guy a year ago that was a quarterback, and you move up to get the guy. I think all of that, if you're Aaron Rodgers, you're watching it, you got out-coached, you got out-played, and you're maneuvering to move me out. If I'm Rodgers, I'm like this, why are you keeping me? You drafted the guy a year ago, you moved up to get him,
4: why not play the guy? I, it all Look, it all works together. It's very obvious. But what's the the angst is he's 36 years old. He doesn't know how much longer he's got to play. I'm sure Matt Ryan is about to be 36. It's the same thing is going on in his mind. He's like sitting there going, I have my one chance. And it like... Slipped through my hands like water, right? To beat that guy, I could have beat that guy. I would have had that one right there. That might have been enough to, you know, take Matt Ryan. And I'm not saying he's a Hall of Famer, but he's close. He's he's you know he's on that you know he's yeah. on that like yeah you know like it's a discussion point like yeah Matt if he Ryan, wins that championship Jason he's in that conversation he's got a shot yeah right he's got a shot and that's. That's where these guys, that's where their heads are at. These are competitive dudes. And so I get it with Aaron Rodgers, and he's frustrated. And you know, the unfortunate part that Aaron has is he's a little too smart for his own good. And, you know, he did, couldn't find a way to work, work it with McCarthy, and McCarthy couldn't find a way to work it with him so that they took advantage of those couple of opportunities they had earlier. And they didn't blow that game at Seattle that they blew – one year, and they had these you know chances that they didn't fritter away, and he, maybe Aaron Rodgers wouldn't be so surly and want to actually get somebody fired at this level of his career. But that didn't happen, and this is where we are. And Aaron Rodgers is frustrated. That's it.
2: How how about I'm 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 hearing this that you know John Elway has made conversations with the Packers to try to put a compensation package. Oh. To keep- To try to bring Aaron Rodgers. Do they have
4: the assets? And is that even a viable place for him to land? Look, if the conversation is going to be had, it's going to be started by George Payton. Okay. Now, will it be finished by John Elway? Yes. That's what's going to happen. Okay. He'll be the closer on the deal. Okay. He'll be the guy who goes to Rodgers and says, look, George will take care of you. Everything will be put in place. You're good. And that speaks volumes, right? That's what that's what John Elway did when they were going out and getting Peyton Manning. And people huh. people underestimate the value of that conversation, because you have a Super Bowl winning quarterback, multiple Super Bowl winning quarterback, one of the greatest of all time. And I'm not just saying that because I wrote a book about him, but he is. You know, he's kind of the Godfather in that. And, and he comes in and says, "I know what it takes for you to win. It'll be taken care of. Don't worry about it." You know, and and Rodgers will trust that at that point in time if they can make that happen. Peyton's, George Payton, the general manager of the, the Broncos, is going to be the guy who has to put together the deal. And if I'm anybody, just push the chips in, right? Like just, you, you might get three, four, five years of Aaron Rodgers. You might get two. Push the chips in. Take How advantage of picks? what you've got.
2: What are those chips? What do you think a market value for a 37-year-old You're going
4: to be starting with three first-round picks. Oh, Jesus. Plus you add something else.
2: Oh, three?
4: Who cares?
2: Oh, no, I would do it too because, you know what, when I say three first-rounders, I'm going like this. Yeah, but it's that guy. And like you said with Peyton Manning in Denver. Okay, so Peyton Manning wins me a Super Bowl and I have three sorry-ass years of football. I'm sorry. I'm going to cash those three years in for my championship. If that gets me, I I, I went
4: to two Super Bowls. Yeah, I'm good with that. I I have five years of playoffs. I'm good with that. Yeah, like good. Okay, for the last four years in Denver has sucked. Hey, Broncos fans, (laughs) you should be okay. Yeah, I say the same thing. You you make that trade. You make that trade every day of the week. Let's go
2: to San Francisco here with our friend John Lynch, another one of your Stanford boys here. And how about this? Follow me here. I get Stanford, the Garoppolo right there,
4: right, right thing there, right there, Stanford.
2: I see it. I got you, man. Right. Well, wait, wait a minute. Right here, 30th anniversary national championship, Miami. Something you guys will never see. See that right there, right yeah. there, brother, right there. Anyway, so you're 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 in a position now where Jimmy Garoppolo has missed 53 percent of his football games, but yet he's 22 and eight. When he's healthy, this guy could take you to a Super Bowl. So let's do this, Chase. We flip the coin, right? Mm -hmm. And he has a successful season, takes the team back to a Super Bowl. And this time, Kyle Shanahan doesn't fall on his face like he did as the OC of the Falcons and like he did a couple years ago in the Super Bowl, and they win it. Uh And you come back and you do this. I'm going to push Garoppolo out, and I'm going to go with a guy in Trey Lance who I have no idea about and whether or not this guy – he looks like he's a great athlete. I mean, you could be in a position now where you're sitting back going like this. I can't get rid of Garoppolo. I find it hard to believe that Trey Lance is going to be a better prospect
4: or a better quarterback than Jimmy Garoppolo. Well, you know Jimmy Johnson, right? Yes. Okay. What was the thing that he did in Dallas his first year? He traded for Steve Walsh. Well, no, he didn't trade for him. Oh, no, no, he, no he, he drafted he, him in the
2: supplemental he, draft.
4: He, he. This is even better. He takes – Troy Aikman with the number one overall pick, right in April. He comes back in June, June two months later. He takes the supplemental pick, which ends up being the number one overall pick the following year. Right?
2: Got three right. ones for him.
4: Okay, now and he got three. You know, he got a one and two and a three. It was the guy like okay, Lamar, right? okay, right. But he takes Walsh. He says, "I got two quarterbacks. I'll figure it out and I'll trade one of them." And he did. Now, I know Chicago did the same thing when they went and got Trubisky and Glennon. Not at Glennon, not as good. I understand the whole thing. But that theory was the same. I get it. I'm not afraid to take two quarterbacks, okay? If the one veteran takes me over the top and I win a title and I can resign him and I fix all the things that are wrong with him, I'll trade Trey Lance. I'm going to get two first-round picks for him. Because he's still the guy who's behind door number two who everybody thinks is great. And here's the other part of it. Next year's draft right now is terrible for quarterbacks. It's awful for quarterbacks. So if a year from now we're sitting here and the 49ers are winning the title. I get it. And we're just before the draft. Trey Lance is probably worth two two first-round picks. That's Maybe so more. What
2: you're trying to build right now, because a quarterback position has become such an emphasis, right, Jace? If you see a guy out there, like we saw like a couple we saw like a couple of years back when they ended up going and getting Kirk Cousins as protection on RG3 in like the fourth round, you got quarterbacks on your roster right now that are considered assets that people are always going to be coming after no matter what it is just because of the position, right?
4: I look, I just say don't be afraid. Yeah. Don't don't operate your team out of fear. Now look, I know the 49ers gave up a lot, and I know they gave up an opportunity to get a player at number 12 who could immediately help them and make them a a serious contender this year. But they're obviously not satisfied with Jimmy Garoppolo, okay? He has had injury issues. He is, you know, a bit of a brain-dead heaver. He's not the, you know, like he's not the sharpest quarterback ever in terms of reading defenses, okay? I mean, he's just not. Okay, it's Jared. you know, it's like Jared Goff. Jared Goff is this fabulous, he's got this fabulous arm talent. Like if you were playing seven on seven, you're playing, you know, Jared Goff and he's throwing He's throwing balls through, you know, tires at 40 yards, right? Like, he's amazing that way, okay? And he gets rid of it really fast, all those kinds of things. But you get to a Super Bowl, and your your receiver is open at, at, you know, the five, and you should be letting it go so it catches it three yards deep in the end zone. Instead, you wait half of a second, and he's got to catch it along the back line, and instead, you know, the McCourty brother, Jason, you know Jason McCourty's coming over and knocking the ball away, and you blow the touchdown opportunity, and the Super Bowl goes right through your fingers, right there, right like that. That's Jared Goff. He's just a, a second too slow. Garoppolo is sort of the same kind of guy. Most quarterbacks, most human beings, are a second too slow, or half a second too slow. That's the difference between a Jared Goff, a Jimmy Garoppolo, and a Tom Brady.
2: Finally, here, Urban Meyer. Coaches going from the college ranks going into the NFL. We've seen some success lately because these guys are really utilizing how they've recruited players once they get to the NFL draft, like Pete Carroll and Jimmy Johnson. They, those guys were marvelous at it. Jimmy had Urban Meyer down on his boat prior to him taking the gig. You think Urban has success in the NFL?
4: I'm torn on this one because Urban's never competed – from a position where he's been even in talent.
2: (laughs) Very true. I mean, you'd have to go back to Bowling Green, true.
4: Right, Utah. Yeah, okay, Utah. Yeah, like where – like at Florida and at Ohio State. Yeah, he's going to have
2: the best talent on the field 90% of the time.
4: 95 sure. sure right what i mean we're, we're i mean, we're quibble, we're quibbling right now yeah but, absolutely i mean like you just roll the ball out and you said yeah. look yeah. go get them boys i mean absolutely how much did you have to really coach and so this game is much more and he's not going to have that now <laughs> by a long shot um i think that when you said if trevor lawrence is starting they're going to have a problem at the beginning of next year I don't care who started, they're going to have a problem. Okay. (laughs) Okay, Right. It doesn't matter. All right. They just, they're not very good. Now, will they get better? Are they drafting the right kind of talent? Will they bring in more guys? You know, we'll see, but he's never going to be in that position. So, this is going to be the first time where every single week, Urban Meyer is going to be facing really, really hard challenges in terms of. Are you going to be able to out-coach the guy on the other side and not just win on talent? Can he do it? Yeah. Will it eat him alive? Look, I live in Gainesville, Florida, okay? Okay, I know what the pressure of that job did to him, okay, and how he wanted to get out of it and physically he was worn down, all those kinds of things, right, that they talk about, which are which are real, okay? The stress did definitely get to him, okay? Now, he got to Ohio State and he recruited like crazy. The stress wasn't as big. And the one other thing I will say about this is, look, Urban doesn't always – Urban creates problems that are unnecessary like he did at Ohio State by defending coaches or hiring coaches he shouldn't hire because he doesn't care about the off field. doesn't matter to him. He doesn't care. He and he, I have a famous story from a friend of mine who knows his wife Shelly. And that guy showed up at the house and he actually had a Stanford sweatshirt on. And Shelly, not Urban, Shelly, his wife, okay, says to him, Ah, choir boys, can't believe them." <laughs> Shelly said it. Uh, Shelly, right? Uh, Think about that, uh, right? So oh. he, he doesn't care. And unfortunately, in this era,
2: you kind of care. Oh, yeah, you do. You yeah, do. I, like, I,
4: so, so I let me sneak
2: this going. in on you here. So Thibault yeah. looks like he may get an opportunity to uh... – Whatever.
4: Sure. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, I mean, look, I, 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 he
2: played
4: I, just I, football at Nice High there. Look, I wish the kid the best. I you know, I, I hate I hate I hate this part of this. I hate this part of this because Tim Tebow is a really good dude. He is. He really is. Now I you know, I don't agree with his I, I'm not religious, so I'm not in agreement with him in alignment, really? whatever you want to say on that. But I don't care, like I don't begrudge him his his you know his faith and the virtue and all that. And I think it's a great thing. I applaud him for all that. He's a great human being. Okay, but Absol- absolutely, absolutely, it's the people behind him who are a problem. Ugh. Okay, it's it's like Fred Taylor today saying, "I don't think he got a really fair shot to play Ugh. quarterback." Fred, stop,
5: <laughs>
4: stop, <laughs> stop. He can't throw the ball now. Now he's coming in as a tight end. He's Great. coming in, you know, trying to make it. He's a good guy, uh, you know. He, you know, he's he's you know, I, I give him all the credit in the world, and I hope he makes it because he's hey, man, a great story. I, star. Hope, I'm gonna, I I'm absolutely gonna, hope he makes it. I'm just so tired of the arguments about him, about all this extraneous stuff. Oh, the NFL was against him. They were against him. He he played in Denver. He played with the Jets. He played with the Patriots. He got a shot with the Eagles. You tell me how many guys get a shot with four different teams? How many That's guys confident. get a shot? With, Ask Colin Kaepernick
2: that question.
4: Right, exactly. (laughs) And Colin can actually play, right? Okay, you know, Tebow, he he can't throw. He can't. And the other one is like, oh, you know, the read option stuff. Do you remember how Tim likes to run? Tim likes to run like he's a fullback running over human beings. Guys like you love quarterbacks like that. Lunch meat. Right, because it's like okay, I'm gonna get a shot to break his ribs. <laughs> hey, maybe shot I shot could
5: call.
2: Maybe I could call Frank Reich and go, Frank, do you need a placeholder? I mean, yeah, I think exactly. That's because
4: good. <laughs> that kid, by the end of his year of starting in in Denver, he had broken ribs, a bum knee, bruised everywhere. If you try and play an entire full season, the way that Tim Tebow wants to play football, you will be ground meat. And, and again, that's not his fault. That's the way he likes to play. Absolutely. Jace,
2: we got a roll,
4: brother. We will do it again. Thank you so much.
2: Absolutely. Be good. You got it. My friend Jason Cole, Hall of Fame voter. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) He's right. And, by the way, I hope he makes the team. That's what I said about Tebow, too. I said the same thing. I go, look, I said it yesterday about Tebow. I'm like, look, he's not going to be bad for the Jags. He's not going to be a poor teammate. He's going to be able to deliver tickets. This guy played a couple hours up the street over on 75 with the Gators. It, I, I, and by the way, I will say this, and this is something that we were going to bring up a little bit later on, but we had so many great guests today on the program. By the way, tomorrow we will have the chairman of CBS Sports on, Sean McManus. He's Jim McKay's son, just in case you're keeping score. And we're going to have Ed Ogeron, the LSU head football coach, will join us tomorrow as well. So, yeah, man, absolutely power-packed, okay, absolutely power-packed. But where I was going again is, look, man, Tebow is just one of those guys that everybody and people were have been tweeting at me. Yeah, but Tebow didn't piss people off like Colin Kaepernick did. Hey, guys, Colin Kaepernick. I'm sorry, I disagree with everybody out there that says this about Kaepernick. I don't think Colin Kaepernick was a bad quarterback. I think the 49ers were a bad organization. Trent Baalke sucked as GM. They fired Jim Harbaugh, who gave him the opportunity. Everybody started retiring. They started firing people. That team was 1-11, but if you look at his stats, was around 14 touchdowns, six interceptions. He had about 450 yards rushing. And if you look at his passing stats, he would have ended up, if you kind of extracted out, he probably would have ended up with like 3,000 passing yards, 22 touchdowns, and nine picks. And then he would have ran for 800 yards. You think that's a bad quarterback? I think that's the modern-day quarterback. So for Kaepernick not to get an opportunity ever again, remember something, how many years has Tebow been away from the ball game? I mean – I, I, I know people, you know what they're throwing out on my Twitter page. are going, well, he's coming back as a tight end. Well, Kaepernick doesn't have to come back as any other position because he did not suck. His numbers do not show a player that stunk. Look him up. He's who he is. People keep telling me that. <clears throat> well, Kelly Kaepernick wasn't a very good quarterback. I'm like this. That's not what his statistics said, even on a 1-11 football team. The organization around him. This guy went to a Super Bowl. He carried a football team on his absolute back. I actually thought that Cam Newton is Cam Newton, but I thought when you see Lamar Jackson today, in my opinion, Colin Kaepernick was actually Cam Newton and Lamar Jackson combined. I never thought in any way whatsoever that Colin Kaepernick was a bad quarterback. You know what I always thought about Colin Kaepernick? He made poor off-the-field decisions, and that's why he's not playing in the National Football League. He's not playing in the National Football League because of poor decisions and people around him. And now Nike has given him that money to be a social activist now in communities. I mean, he's making eight to $9 million a year. He jumps in his Bucati and then goes home to his mansion. Why would he ever want to come back into the game? And he got a $20 million settlement from the National Football League. All right lot of stuff we hit on today. We really appreciate you stepping aboard with us. Don't forget tomorrow, as I said, the chairman of CBS Sports, Sean McManus, will join us, and Ed Ogeron. Until then, we'll catch you on the flip side. You we'll keep it right here tomorrow, 4 to 6.